Hi friends, welcome to another edition of the Island Networking Podcast. Today, it's a conversation that was recorded earlier this year with former professional football player Michaela Gooden. Michaela has had the opportunity to take up a variety of roles in the football industry, from playing professionally to coaching, teaching, and now working as an agent. She started her journey at the tender age of nine, where she joined Fulham Center of Excellence and remained a key player throughout the duration of her childhood before receiving a four-year scholarship to play in the United States. She's worked really hard to establish herself in the football world, tried lots of different things, so she's the perfect person to speak to if you're considering pivoting or going after a path that perhaps doesn't seem obvious. Michaela is now dedicated to setting a path to make the journey for women in sport less arduous than it currently is. With that said, here's Michaela. Michaela? Welcome to the I Like Networking podcast. Thank, Thank you for you. being here. Thank you for having me. It's really, really great to, well, know you a bit more now, even though it's totally virtual or remote still, as at the moment that we're recording this, we are in the middle of another UK lockdown. <laughs> another one. Another one. It's funny, because we, um, originally we said, do you remember before Christmas, we said, oh, let's hopefully by then we'll be able to meet up in person. And I was looking forward to meeting you in person. And we were like, yeah, that's going to be great. And yeah. Then, here we are. Here we are. But, you know, we'll have, well, maybe we'll do it when the weather is better anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, Michaela, before we start, can you just give us a snapshot? So who you are, basically, what is it that you do, mm-hmm. where you're from, Mm-hmm. And you said that you're now based in London, right? But yes, yeah. just give us a bit of a snapshot to you. Okay, um, my name's Michaela, as you know. I'm an agent, a football agent. So I manage careers for um, female and male football athletes within the UK. And I'm originally from, well, I'm born and raised in London, still in London now. But I'm from South London, a place called Putney. That's where I was born and raised. And yeah, I'm still a Londoner. <laughs> Amazing. And Michaela, can you just tell us what is like the worst job experience you've ever had or the biggest career failure? And this can be anything. It can even be something when you were like working at a shop or something. Okay, cool. Perfect. <laughs> um, so before I started my football agent career, I was working in fashion. It's in fashion for a good five, six years. And in order to get into the fashion industry, um, you have to intern and assist. So I applied for this internship very early days. It was probably one of my second interns that I had ever done. So it was all new to me. So I applied for this intern for a, um, a brand called KTZ. So obviously on the website, they described the intern as like a dream job. So I'm reading it thinking, oh my God, this is amazing. This is just for me. So I managed to get an interview, which was good. And then I rocked up to the interview and um, it all went well. Like the guy was lovely at the time and I was happy leaving. I was thinking in my head, oh my God, I'm going to go so far in this place, whatnot, whatnot. So then um, I started the job the following week. When I rocked up, it all felt a bit weird. The guy that interviewed me didn't even say hi. So I thought initially, that's a bit strange, but we'll let it slide. Thought nothing of it. And then his assistant took me downstairs. So um, as we're going downstairs, it's like a a small office place. And when I tell you, there was about 20 interns in there and we're we're all working for the same job. So I'm thinking in my head, okay, cool. It's a little bit of competition, not to worry. 
but the job they had us doing was, um, so it was just before fashion week. So in the description, it was described as, um, you know, you're going to come and work with the clothes, the brands, you're going to help us um, style our bloggers that we have working for us, all of that kind of stuff. But long and behold, I ended up writing invitations for the bloggers they've invited to their fashion week show. And they made us physically hand out the invitations to all the um, different hotels a week prior to um, fashion week. So I was in the middle of Oxford Street handing out these invitations and I just got to a point where I thought, this isn't for me. Like this, this can't be my life. I'm just walking around delivering invitations. And I thought, yeah, that I had just quit on the day, took the invitations home with me and didn't hear from them again. Just wasn't for me. That's crazy. Yeah. Ugh, that I sounds know. terrible. It well, the fashion industry is a tough one to crack, isn't it? Oh, very. So but difficult. I think one of the things, like I read about you in this profile that you had in a magazine a while ago, and I was so interested because, you know, you were a professional footballer. Can I yeah. say that? Yeah. And yeah. that you went into this like fashion journey for a while. And now yeah. you became, as you said, a sports, like an athlete's agent. So I really want to know how that all came to be because it's such an interesting career journey. And so first off, when did you start playing football? Um, I started young. So around seven or eight is when I first joined my grassroots club. And then I joined um, an academy at nine. So I played for Fulham. That was the academy that I joined up until 18. And then that's when I became pro between 16 to 18. But so what, yeah, why you were playing like when you were a teenager, were you like keen or like, okay, this is going to be my career? Because obviously it's one of those things that maybe a lot of, you know, boys usually say that they're going to be a footballer, but girls, not as much. I mean, I think it's getting better now, but still not the same dream as it would be. Right. 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 Uh, and I think it's also not a very straightforward career path in any case. So what was your experience throughout that and like to get to your first like how do you even become a pro footballer <laughs> so um back when i was playing there wasn't many female like nowadays it's so much better a lot of the um professional players female players have contracts when but when i was growing up there weren't many players that had contracts so to play professionally as in to get paid in the uk it was non-existent. So my dream was to always go to America and play in America because the leagues were a lot bigger out there, more established. So growing up, yes, I always believed that I was going to be a professional player, but my dream was in the States. So um, when I got to 18, I took a gap year and then at 19, I went to America. So I received a full scholarship to go out to play in the States for four years. But the way it's set up is that it's really hard for you to then filter to become a professional, um, they would call it soccer player in the state. So after America, I kind of like, that was the end of my career in a sense. So yeah, growing up, I always dreamt of wanting to play in the States, but it was so difficult back then. There wasn't much money in into women's football. Um, there were hardly, there were no agents that I can recall back in the day. So yeah, I had the dream, but my dream, it just changed as I, as I got older, as I realized that I wasn't going to make it professionally in that sense to, to get paid. 
that must have been a difficult moment for you because you were still quite young and I guess you had that resolution while whilst you were still away. So how did you come to terms with that? Um, I think I think it was yeah, it was it was hard, but it was easier because so for example, so you've got so many boys growing up that want to make it professional and they see their peer groups making it professional. So you can physically see somebody make it and get paid an amazing amount of money. Whereas for me, I didn't really see any of my peer groups or any other women making it professional. So because there was, it would have been worse if I would have maybe been told no, as opposed to me realizing that, okay, this isn't how the league is set up right now. So yeah, it was hard. But I think when I got to a teenage age, I I understood the industry a lot more. So it wasn't a setback. It was just almost like I have to take a different route. In a sense. Yeah, that's interesting. And were you, while you were growing up and playing football in the UK still, was it, you know, did you have support from family or friends or anyone who kind of showed you some of the way of what you could do? Or did you face any like huge hurdles to even get to that? Because I guess even getting to that and doing, you know, being in the academy and then getting a full scholarship, that's quite a lot of achievements, you know, for yeah. like such a niche, like, Thing, which especially at the time as we said like not many women make it right yeah no yeah thank you um yeah I had amazing support from my family all the way up until my grandparents that my aunties were supporting me but it just goes to show that it took a massive support for me to get to where I wanted to so if I didn't have that support I doubt I would have got to where I wanted to so yeah um credit to my family and it was a struggle for them looking back now I understand it was a massive like financially we weren't that well off so to pay for me to travel to the academy games even to get a flight out to America was um really really hard but I had I had the support to get me to where I was so yeah very grateful for that that's amazing and how was your experience again in the states wills like you were you playing for an university I imagine yeah, yeah. So I was at, uh, um, I went to two colleges, well, universities out there. So my first two years, oh, it was amazing. There was lots of international students within that one um, college. So you felt at home that like there was loads of guys from the UK, a couple of girls from the UK. So you automatically gravitate towards one another. So you have your, your home base in another country, um, which was, it was just so much fun. I can't even explain my first two years. But then when I transferred to my second college, that's when challenges started to arise because I was going from North Carolina to Tennessee and I didn't really know much about America and how different their states are until I was actually out there. So when I transferred to Tennessee, because I didn't really do no research, I almost, I didn't wing it, but I just thought, okay, you're offering me the best scholarship. I'm just going to go for it. Mm -hmm. So um, when I went to Tennessee, oh, massive cultural shock. <laughs> I bet <laughs> huge culture so I didn't quite understand it took me a good six months to really because I would be shocked at things on a daily basis and I was like is this how people really really live it was such an eye-opener but I think it's taught me it's, it those two years in Tennessee taught me a lot of life skills that's great yeah yeah <laughs> 
I mean, you're very brave to have done and just moved out on your own, out of your safety bubble. So I think that explains a lot of your, the risks you took in your professional career, in I a way. So. I don't think I could do that again today. <laughs> Somebody tell me you're going to Tennessee for two years, I would hands down say no. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Um, so what happened then? You decided, okay, this is not going to happen. I'm just going to go back home. What did you, first of all, what did you study in, in college? And then what did you decide to do coming back to London? So I studied um, sports science in college and then I had finished my degree and it was time to come home. So my plan was to stay out in America, do like a graduate program. But I think because Tennessee just killed the love of the whole experience for me, I just wanted to get home. So I um, got my degree, left, and then I was confused. I was I was stuck because I didn't love football anymore. It killed my love for football so I didn't want to play that and then I didn't want to work in sport the whole sport vision I think Tennessee just killed it for me so I was lost I was um training to become a teacher I knew I wanted to work in sport but I also knew I wanted to work in fashion so I was I was battled so I started to um I was working in a primary school as like a PE a PE teacher and then I was doing fashion stuff on on the side on the weekends because I wasn't too sure which career path I wanted to take so um I worked in the school for about three years and then towards the end of the year I reduced my hours and then that's when I started to do my fashion a lot more so I focused more on that um doing personal styling like styling for shoots assisting different stylists and um yeah then from both of those experiences. So I was working in the fashion industry. So I always knew that I wanted to work within sport, but I just wasn't too sure what area was suited for me. So the school wasn't for me, coaching wasn't for me. And then that's where I became stuck. Like I wasn't too sure what my next journey was, which then will explain in more detail how I became an agent. So it's interesting to me that you said like it killed your your love for football, but you still kind of wanted to be in sports. I think actually that is quite common, not just in sports. Well, maybe not just in sports, but beyond that, because I feel like a lot of people, for instance, get into the creative industries at large. So like visual arts or theater mm-hmm. or music because they love it. And then the industry is so difficult to make it in mm-hmm. professionally that it sometimes gets you to like, oh my God, I never want to see a show again. I never want to go into, a, you know, like, right, yeah. I think, I think that's actually a common experience across the board. Like, and it's, um, it's funny, but you, did you even stop playing football? Like everything? Yeah. So, um, after Tennessee, I came back and I stopped. Wow. I just was like, I don't even want to see another football another coach another player. I just, yeah I completely stopped for about two to three years I would say yeah because in my head I was done I was like right America that's my dream it ended on a bad note it is what it is but yeah I'm done yeah um, I think I needed that break to find the love for it again like you said in any industry especially in the creative industry I think people have because you you get a lot of creative people that's their um that's a huge part of them and it's their release it's their passion in a sense so when you transfer those skills into a working environment it it changes 
so it's like it almost sucks your all your love that you have for it so you have to take a break I know a lot of creatives that work in the industry and take breaks to just rebuild so I guess for me it was the same like I had to take a break in order to find a love for it again that's yeah I totally understand that Mm -hmm. but thanks for sharing all of that with us and I guess my second question before you head on to your current like role is you wanted to work in fashion which is a completely different thing than what you did before which is great and you said you started working and you did stylist and intern did you know anyone in the industry did you just like how did you start finding those opportunities because I guess you didn't have a background in it so how was that process for you if you can remember back yeah. then yeah um so it just came down to interning so when you're starting at, I started at a very low level because you're right I had no no degree no experience no nothing so it um so I would just look online for different internships and just apply and um I wrote to a lot of stylists just to offer my service for free. This was, I felt like I had to give my service for free in order to gain experience. Um, so yeah, I would email stylists, ask them to assist. And yeah, certain stylists would respond. Some stylists gave me opportunities, which I'm very grateful for. And then I think once I started interning and understanding how the industry um, then worked, I started applying for paid roles. So it, I offered a lot of my service for free at the very beginning to just build up my um, portfolio. Yeah, okay, good. Thanks for telling us that. And that you were doing the PE on the side, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that was my, um, yeah, my source of income. Yeah, interesting. And you said you really didn't like coaching. What do you think that is? I don't know. <laughs> I, think I, I always think, like, why is my... I think I find it... When it's a large group like that, you have to have a, um, a certain personality type to, to be able to control kids at a certain age. So I think I struggled with that. <laughs> um, and I like to, I'm more of a one-on-one person or a one-on-two or three people. So when I did the PE teaching, it was short lessons. It was like 50 minutes of lessons and it was never, okay, um, we're building a, a group to go to a next level whereas in coaching I think you have to really invest in all of your players to understand how to move them forward whereas I'm more of a I'll invest in two or three at a time than invest in 11 <laughs> that one time you know what I mean so I think that I noticed that from early early on hats off to coaches as well like to manage a team and progress and try and spark a light in each of those players. It's, it's yeah. A good job. Yeah. It's, a, it's, under, it's an underrated job as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So then please lead us to how you pivoted yet again and decided to become an agent, no less. One of, I guess, the very few female sports agents, especially in the UK, I'd say. Yeah. No, you're right. That's right. <laughs> um, okay. So I always knew. Growing up, I always knew I was going to do something in sport and especially with elite athletes. Like I always knew, but I just wasn't too sure how and where. So even when I became a stylist, in my head, I was thinking long term goal, I'm going to be a stylist or a personal shopper for athletes, athletes and um, like their surrounding families and stuff. So 
I had a friend of mine who was an agent. He's been a friend of mine for years, and we would just talk about work. And I was, I was, I would always find it interesting what he does, not thinking that I could do it, just because I found it interesting. So we would just talk about different scenarios and stuff. And then it got to a point where I was like thinking about the conversations we were having a lot on repeat. And then I was thinking in my head, I'm pretty sure I've got the skill set to do that. So I sat, I literally sat down and I wrote down what I think I could bring to the table if I was an agent and what is needed to be a successful agent after after doing research, of course. And um, then again, I would make, I would call agents, like I would call different agents just to pick their brain, just to see what the industry is like. I would talk to um, ex-players or like young boys and girls who were still playing a parent just to get an insight because um I believe that I could do it but I just wasn't too sure and then I started researching female agents and I could couldn't see any like there were hardly any a handful if that I would say which sparked me to think okay I there needs to be a change I can definitely definitely do this and then um again so I would call companies or I would send out emails to companies to look for, because I'm not starting from the bottom, but I'm coming in from a side angle. So I would reach out to different agencies to see if they take on interns or if I could offer my services. So I think from the fashion, that's helped because I've done it before. So I was able to do it again. It, it didn't bother me, paid or not paid. Um, and then... Yeah, and I had a conversation with an agent and he was like, come down, we started talking and then long and behold, he was like, come join our company and then you have been there ever since. That's amazing. I mean, there's so many things that I have to unpack from what you said. I think one thing that is clear from what you're saying is that you're someone who learns a lot by doing it. So you always go and find the experience. But I love the idea of that exercise that you did of like writing down the elements and kind of like writing down what you can bring to the table. I feel like that's amazing. And it's, it's a nice way to reassure you of something. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Yeah. It's really great. And I maybe would recommend people to do that. <laughs> They're not too sure. And um, you can read it back and see where you're at and see where you need to go. Yeah. So it's, good. it's a good visual exercise. And I'm interested to know um so you said you called other agents and so on to ask mm -hmm. about the role were they receptive to talking to you or is it like a very like I don't want to tell you anything because we don't want anyone else in yeah exactly second point because <laughs> I don't want no one in Spot on. so it was difficult so the questions I had to word my questions very um very simple I didn't want to I, I wasn't calling to pry too much anyway but I didn't want to overstep my boundaries like I let them do the talking I was literally coming in from a point I just want to know a bit more about the industry and that's it and it's mad because the minute you it's almost like I was attracting them because I was out at my friend's house and I was talking to we were just had, she had a few friends over and I was just chatting to one of our mutual friends and bearing in mind I've seen this girl for years but she was like oh my friend's an agent And then I was like, oh, great. Do you think you would mind having a conversation with me? She was like, no, no problem. So all from a conversation is where I managed to get my contacts through um, to speak to other agents. 
so yeah no they <laughs> it was hard it was hard work I didn't get that much information but I got enough to know to know what direction to go in I love that. And I love that you eventually asked a friend who wasn't in the industry who kind of like introduced you to someone. This is something that I always tell people like on a brief tangent on when we do a few events with I like networking. There's one that we do about networking itself mm-hmm. and using, you know, the people that you already have around you. And I always say, if you don't tell people that you kind of trust, what is it that you're searching for? No one can help you. And maybe someone works in a bank, but they know someone who knows someone who works, you know, at the newspaper, you know, that you want to work for or whatever it is. So you got to have, you kind of have to put yourself out there, which I really admire that you really went for it, apparently. (laughs) I had to. No, you really do. And somebody always knows somebody. You don't realize how well connected your group of people around you are until you start speaking about certain things but somebody always knows somebody exactly yeah you really need to use your your network even if you think you don't have one yet yeah you know I always tell like you do have one you just have to reach out to it that's that's really great and so you started working as an agent did you make it a point to represent more women than men like how was the your like your vision for the agency because obviously you mentioned that when you started, there weren't lots of agents, like mm-hmm. there wasn't support. Is this something that's still very much part of like your mission or are you more relaxed about it? No, it's still very much part of my mission. And I made a point in, because I didn't really see many female agents representing men, that's my long-term goal. But in order to get to my long-term goal, I have to, regardless, I was going to represent women anyway, because that's me. That was me once upon a time. And especially young females who have come from a similar background to where I've come from. So I grew up on a cancer estate. So I really want to reach out to the young girls who are from cancer estates to just help them t- to maybe take them to the next level. So very much part of my mission. And then my long-term goal would be to represent uh, a next the next, like, big star in the in the men industry just to break a few boundaries you know just to switch the game up a little bit (laughs) add my taste and then leave (laughs) I love that I you were such a nice person to speak to Michaela but I'm sure you have a really tough skin because the football industry in, in particular is a very hard one right like I'm from Brazil so I have zero how can I say like naivete about the whole thing yeah, I yeah. see how it is so what is it that is the biggest challenge was the biggest challenge for you moving into your new role I think the biggest challenge for me is I'm constantly facing their opportunities but I'm constantly being pulled out of my comfort zone Sometimes that that's great and I and I love it, but it can also be very challenging because I'm put into places and scenarios that not many females have been put in before. So to to gauge a room, say I'm stepping into a boardroom full of men, not that women would make it any different, but they're not used to having a woman within that environment. So maybe it's it's my own self like just overthinking things, but I think coming out of my comfort zone in situations where people aren't familiar with me can be quite challenging. 
Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's all. It, yeah. I feel like that's probably very challenging and for real in any way. We actually had someone on the podcast who is an arts advisor. Okay. And she mentioned that it took her a long time to find her voice because yes. most collectors and most museum directors were middle-aged men. Yes. And she didn't really... It was hard for her as well to like do it in a way that she almost like convinced herself, you know, that she belonged in the space. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I guess there are both parts of the equation. There are people that will doubt you. And then there's a bit of you that will doubt yourself because there hasn't been any other role models, you know? Exactly. Is that spot on? Yeah. Which is why it's amazing that you're doing this. So you're being a trailblazer. Yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> so what is what is something that you really love about what you do right now and what is something that you spend a lot of time doing in your job that you didn't really anticipate you would okay so I I love working with elite athletes it's a mindset like I love working with an elite mindset and to be part of someone's journey I enjoy it it's almost like I'm mentoring as well as trying to potentially get you the best deal so I invest so much into my players so that when um I see them succeed oh, there's nothing there's not a better feeling than to see my player do well and the second question was what do I do most now oh what is something that you do a, you spend a lot of time doing but you didn't think you would as an agent so this can be anything uh, um, like self-reflection Really? Yeah. That's, we've never heard that one. Really? Yeah. yeah. I never used to do that much. I don't know if it's an age thing. It's just maybe timing. I don't know. But I reflect a lot. And I think, I was thinking about this earlier, and I think I reflect a lot because I want to be the best at what I do. So in order to improve, I have to see what I did well or where I, where I went wrong. So, for example, this podcast now, and there's one thing that I hate. Whenever I send, say I send a voice note on WhatsApp, and you accidentally hear your voice, I quickly put, like, I hate the sound of my own voice. So when I hear it on WhatsApp, I quickly put my phone down. But after this podcast, I'm going to have to listen back to see what I said, see if I can reflect. So it's one of the most challenging things, but I do it on a daily basis. I love that. That's incredible. Yeah. That yeah, I, I uh, supposedly everyone hates their voice. I really hate my voice, and I do a podcast yeah. in spite of it. You know, because I'm like, well, it's the only voice I get. So yeah, it's <laughs> you know, like, it's I am very short, and so when I was younger, I would complain a lot. And then at one point, I was like, well, I'm not gonna grow anymore, so I might as well like make peace with the fact that <laughs> that's it. That's my height. Isn't it? And I always tell myself <laughs> when I listen to myself back on a like on a podcast or a voice note or whatever, I always say to myself, I don't actually sound like that in real life, so it's okay. <laughs> That's true, like, right? We don't yeah. we don't actually listen. We don't actually hear ourselves exactly as people hear us, right? There's yeah. something like like that. But exactly. <laughs> um, I love that. So, Michaela, I know we're approaching our time, but can you tell me a little bit about how it's been for you? Uh, to work in sports throughout this pandemic because obviously sports have been very affected. I mentioned mm -hmm. that, you know, the mental health of everyone that you work with as well. Mm -hmm. But what, how was it for you as, you know, a young-ish agent in the, in the game? Mm -hmm. 
yeah it was um it's challenging I think predominantly a lot of um my time is spent I would go to games I'm interacting with players or parents coaches whatnot it's, it's I'm very interactive so to have that completely stripped back to to nothing in a sense oh, I was difficult at first but I think you have to you have to make the most of a bad situation so thank goodness for social media because that enabled me to to interact more with people to maybe talk to new people to even network so yes it was challenging but I just had to really really dig deep and and find ways to to figure out how it's going to work in favor for me if that makes sense yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. Do you now practice any sports? Did you go back to playing football? Do you do any training yourself? So I went back to playing football after about three years and I loved it again. So I play occasionally, like on the weekends when I can. But I'm into um, boxing at the moment. Nice. Yeah, boxing and yoga. Those are my two sports that I'm into right now. So um, That's funny. They're quite different in terms yeah. of energy. <laughs> <laughs> Completely different. One balances me out and the other one gets me real hype. So, um, yeah, those are my two sports. Well, I'm glad you came back to it and you're, like, more at peace with everything. Yeah. And I totally understand. Like, I've had uh, personally burnout syndrome twice. Like, the person really – I didn't learn through the first time. The first time was really bad. The second time was obviously worse. And I was – I, I was working in the art world and I was just so tired mm-hmm. that for like three months, I did not go to any museums, any galleries. I didn't watch one show, one concert. I was just like, I went and did a cooking, I did a cooking course for a while. For like, because like, I was like, I just need to focus on something yeah. for the whole time that is like nothing else. And like, I was a really bad cook and it really helped, but like, once you're like cutting it on, you're cutting whatever. You really need to pay attention, otherwise, like you just cut your finger, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. it was, and it was funny because there were when I was doing the 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 course, there were so many people. Like there was someone who worked at like the Royal Opera House, and someone who was from like an arts auction place, someone really? who was a lawyer. All <laughs> of them going to like similar like burnouts or freaking out about their career. Like I can't see any of this. Like, I need, like, I don't know. It was really, really funny. And now I'm back. But I, I think, like you, I needed a break, you know. Yeah. And, I think that's any industry. You just need a break, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. So, Mikael, I really love the fact that you did this incredible career. You went after what you wanted. So, as an agent especially, I understand that who you know is very important. Yes. So, do you have a tip for networking for people who maybe are not as fond of it? Um, oh, networking is so difficult. I, I can't even lie. It's probably really, really hard. But I would say don't over, don't overkill it. Don't feel like you have to, don't put too much pressure on yourself when it comes to networking because some of the best conversations for me have been when I'm not even talking about work. Like it's nothing to do with football and it's nothing to do with being an agent. It's just finding common ground with that person and it sticks with you for longer. And then organically, 
the work will come to life. So try not to overkill the subject and try to make it a common ground because there's nothing worse than talking to someone about work and, okay, cool, you, you get along. And then within that conversation, that person says something to you that doesn't sit right with you. You almost think, what a waste, a waste of 10 minutes because there's nothing, I don't, I don't want to work with you in a sense. So find common ground first and then work will organically align. I love that. Thank you, Camilla. And finally, since we are in lockdown, do you want to recommend three things that are bring you joy or bring you comfort at this time? They can be songs, films, like anything, books, whatever it is that you've been enjoying lately. Yeah, so I picked up reading a lot during lockdown, actually, which is good. But um, I read The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. Great book. So that's a good book. Music-wise, my go-to is Lauren Hill. <laughs> Anything from Lauren Hill, I love. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Classic. Yes. And um, I recently watched over the Christmas period, I don't know if you've heard of it, a movie called Soul. It's new. Ah, uh, yeah. The Pixar movie. Oh, my gosh. It's amazing. I yeah. really want to watch that, but people say that you cry a lot. And oh, I- it's such a good movie. It just breaks down life in such a simple format. Yes, great movie. I need to watch that. I've been like facing, I need to face my fears because every time <laughs> I go, I remember I went to watch like Up, you know, when yeah. I got oh, that's and I don't movie. know, I cried so much. I was like, well, I was not prepared for this. I thought I was going in for like Despicable Me, you know, yeah. <laughs> which is yeah. a great movie. Yeah. Like, very classic cinema. But... Yeah, I love it. Up's a great movie. Michaela, thank you so much. Before you go, just let us know if people want to find you on social media, where should they look for you? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram, just Instagram. Um, Michaela Gooden is my handle name. And yeah, just drop me a DM if you've got any questions or if you just want to know more about the industry. I'm pretty open to responding, so. That's really great. Thanks again so much for coming. And I hope we can have our coffee soon as yeah. soon as things open up and it's Definitely. gonna be amazing and it will be sunny for sure so yeah oh, i can't wait cannot oh. wait <laughs> thank you for having me thank you so much thank you for listening to the eyeliner networking podcast for more information on everything that we do just head over to our website eyelinenetworking.uk or find us on social media Now, if you're looking for more stories from inspiring entrepreneurs, check out the Serial Entrepreneurs from Startups magazine, a print and digital publication that champions tech startups. Here, their editor, Anna Flockett, interviews the most innovative startups of the moment with some startup lessons and failure fables, as well as a sprinkling of inspirational advice. You can find them by searching the Serial Entrepreneur, as in your breakfast, into any streaming service or by going to startupsmagazine.co.uk. See you next week.